Hello again and welcome to the Nittany Rich Show and the 11th episode of the 2019 season. I'm Rich Scarcella of the Reading Eagle, your host. You can find this podcast at readingeagle.com and wherever podcasts are available. We do welcome your feedback. Joining us on this week's episode are Megan Ryan of the Minneapolis Star Tribune, who covers Minnesota, and Mike Gross of the Lancaster Newspapers, who covers Penn State. We're going to take a look at this week's game between a pair of 8-0 teams. I I would say both surprisingly 8-0, Minnesota and Penn State. Megan, who covered Penn State for two seasons a few years ago, will be joining us first. Welcome to the show. Hi, Rich. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Megan. Uh, Can you tell the listeners where they can find your work? Well, I work at the Minneapolis Star Tribune, so you can go to startribune.com to read my stuff, um, or you can follow me on Twitter at the other Meg Ryan. That's a good place, too. And that, to the listeners, that is one of the best Twitter handles you'll ever find. (laughs) that's, That's one of my favorites, the other Meg Ryan. Um, I try well, very hard. <laughs> well, you are the Meg Ryan tonight. So, um, Minnesota eight and zero overall, five and zero in the Big Ten. A um, lot of questions about the Golden Gophers. Who have they played? Who have they not played? Uh, first of all, what did you expect before the season, and what have they done to produce this undefeated record? You know, I think ahead of the season, I thought best case scenario was probably an eight and four team, which I guess is still possible, but um, they definitely have exceeded my expectations so far. Um, you know, it's really weird. Like, they came into the season, I think we knew their wide receivers were going to be good. We knew the running backs should be good. They had a lot of people coming back from injury, so that was kind of a question mark. But, like, given the credentials there, we knew that would be good. The big, de- the big question was the defense um, because that was really their Achilles heel all of last season until they changed defensive coordinators. And so it was kind of seeing this new defensive coordinator, Joe Rossi, now that he's in the role for a whole offseason, what could he do with that and could they pick up where they left off? Um, and, you know, the beginning of the season didn't really display a lot of those things except for the wide receivers. They were, they've been good throughout. But, you know, the run game wasn't very good at the start. The defense wasn't very good at the start. They struggled in these non-conference games and kind of had these close – comeback wins and it really wasn't until probably the Purdue game was good but they let them back in a little bit at the end of it and then ever since then these last four games everything's kind of been really clicking um so it's really exceeded my expectations and I think it just kind of goes to show that you can kind of put things together throughout the season and as long as you you know, can win games. It doesn't, sometimes it doesn't matter if it's pretty or not, but you can do that and keep building that kind of momentum. Uh, it can take you a long ways, and I think we're seeing that right now. You mentioned the offense. You figured the offense would be fairly good. Um, what What is your impression or what is your evaluation of Tanner Morgan, the Minnesota quarterback, who whose numbers are, are very good? I think he's second in the Big Ten in pass efficiency. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird. Tanner is a kind of a, a conundrum almost because, you know, he wasn't – he lost the starting quarterback job last year to Zach Anikstead. Um, But then when Anikstead got hurt about halfway through the year, Tanner ended up coming in and then, you know, played really well and got them some of their best wins, the Wisconsin rivalry win, the bowl game win. Um, and then, you know, that even wasn't enough to win him the starting job for this year. He was in the quarterback battle again, but then Anikstead got hurt again at the end, beginning of training camp, and that kind of gave the job to Tanner. 
So I think a lot of people are maybe viewing him as like, well, he's the backup, and, you know, Annex would have been the choice, and maybe so. But I think what he's been able to prove time and again is that, like, he doesn't have to be the best quarterback. Like, he doesn't have to have the best arm. He doesn't have to have the best mobility. He doesn't have to have, you know, any of the best height because he's not very tall. Um, he doesn't have to have any of those things. For some reason, he is able to come together in these clutch moments, and he's able to run this offense and kind of be that game manager. And then he has the ability to have really good games, like his game at Purdue. He only missed one of his 22 passes, I think. Um, so he has these like weird moments where he's really good, and then he has these weird moments where he makes these mistakes, and you're like, ugh, that doesn't look very good. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's like, you know, he's leaning. And that's kind of the story of the team, too. It's like there might be things that, you know, we can nitpick at and say that doesn't look that good or that's not as good as it's cracked up to be. But, like, the end result is they keep winning. So that's kind of the Tanner Morgan story, too. Megan, how would you describe this offense? It looks like, I mean, just on paper, and I, I, I mean, I have to be honest, I haven't had an opportunity to watch Minnesota play because I happen to be covering Penn State. But it looks like, they're ground oriented and Rodney Smith is their leading rusher with um, almost 900 yards. Uh, what kind of offense is it and how good is their running game? Well, the interesting thing this year is, you know, Minnesota's traditionally, it's all, it's always been about the run game um, and what they can do there. And for the first time this year, like their receivers are very dangerous. Like Tyler Johnson's NFL caliber, mm-hmm. he's great. He can make these clutch things. They've got Rashad Bateman, who's got these one-handed grabs he can make, and he's going to be in the NFL one day too. And then they've got kind of Chris Ottman Bell, who's you know you can't ignore him either, even though he's not as big of a name as, as Bateman and Johnson. Um, so they've got this kind of depth at, at wide receiver. They also have depth at running back with Rodney Smith. You know he's the big rusher, six-year senior, mm-hmm. um, but. He's also got Muhammad Ibrahim behind him, who was the breakout star last year when Rodney was injured. And then you got Shannon Brooks, who just came back from injury, as a fifth-year senior. So there's depth at all of those positions. And I think the unique thing about this year is that, for once, it's not one or the other. Um, what you see in these last four games is they've been able to put together the run game with the pass game. And that makes them really hard to beat. Like, there's been a couple plays where, it looks obvious that, you know, they're going to hand the ball to Rodney Smith and so, you know, the D-line's closing in on him, and then they just pop out and Tanner Morgan passes it to a wide-open Rashad Bateman in the end zone. And that's what this offense can do when it's running at that at that speed. It's like you kind of trick them into, you know, get the run game going early, you get you get the defenses queuing in on that, and then all of a sudden you can break out these passes out of nowhere. And so um, really they're dangerous on both facets and what we've been seeing is that they can turn those on at the same time recently and so that is what makes them very good we're talking with megan ryan of the minneapolis star tribune uh who is covering the minnesota football program for the second year am i uh no this is my first year actually on the Gophers. oh i thought it was your second i'm sorry i mean you you've been with you've been back in minneapolis for how many years now I've been back for three years, but I covered the professional soccer team, Minnesota United, for the first two seasons. Okay. Uh, for the first two years I was here, and then I went to college. Okay. Um, has the Minnesota football program captured the fancy of the Twin Cities yet? You know, I think so. It's it's so hard, right? Like, I know the diehard Gophers fans. Um are elated like this is the dream come true mm-hmm. there's people that have been waiting to go back to a rose bowl since like 1962 or whatever and so 
everyone is really excited, and I and I know that from the diehard fans. If it's captured the larger view, I guess this Penn State game would be the one um, to judge that by. Like this kind of happens with this town. Like there, the, there's so many things going on. We have so many sports teams um, and so much other stuff that can draw your attention. It's really hard for the Gophers to kind of maintain. Um, that kind of attention for a long period of time. So what you see is when they get really good, all of a sudden everyone's really on board, and then they kind of falter again, or, and people fall off. So we've seen that before. Um, but definitely, like, you know, in, in the time that I have been kind of alive and aware of Gophers football, like not when I was, like, a kid, this is the most excitement that I can remember mm-hmm. um, seeing, which I guess isn't saying a lot. I'm not super old. But but I kind of always thought of it as an afterthought, and I think that's what a lot of people thought. But now it's like nobody expected them to be 8-0, and, and we love winners here because we're kind of desperate for <laughs> <laughs> for a win in something. So I think people are excited. Uh, P.J. Fleck is in his third season uh, as coach at Minnesota. He's 20-13. and 13. He led Western Michigan um, to the Cotton Bowl and tremendous success. Uh, first of all, what are your impressions of him, of the job he's doing? And secondly, is this ahead of schedule in his view, or is it right on schedule? Well, in his view, it's right on schedule. And actually, it's kind of weird. If you look back at the things he was saying in his introductory press conference, like pretty much all of that has come to pass. Like he kind of said, you know, the, the first year we're here, it's going to be just you know, scrambling, get, do what you can, like try to put the put everything in and fill the culture, whatever. And then, you know, year two, it's, we're going to be a little bit better, but it's not really going to be fully there, and you're going to see some growing pain still. And then by year three, you know, we should look pretty solid, and there's a chance that we could start contending. And that's come to fruition. I mean, did he envision an eight? No, maybe not. But um, this is pretty much what, what he wanted to do. Like, and, and I've actually heard that in other sports, and I can soccer team. Um, you know, the coach that I covered there, he'd, he'd started a new MLS team in one location and then he came here and started a new MLS team. And his whole thing was the three-year plan. Like, you have to figure out this three-year plan because it takes three years to kind of build a program up. And if you, you know, fire someone has to or whatever, like, you're not seeing the full end product. Um, and I think that's what has happened to CJ, um, and he's kind of getting it. Um, if he's exceeded, like, how I think he's doing, I mean, I think he's doing a great job. You really can't argue with it. I know that he's somebody that kind of rubs people the wrong way, or you either really like him, or you, or you really don't like to the energy and the fair and stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is that he backs up what he says, and he's done it at Western Michigan. He's now doing it at Minnesota, um, and so there must be something to his culture and how it works and how the kids buy into it. So I think he's been doing a great job. I mean, you really can't argue with the results he's been getting. Again, we're talking with Megan Ryan of the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Megan, a two-part question. Um, well, really, I'll ask you two questions, two separate questions. Do you think Minnesota is for real? I mean, do you think this is this is not a, uh, a mirage, that they, this is a legitimate team capable of winning not only Saturday, but winning the Big Ten West? Um, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, winning the Big Ten West, yes, only because if you look at what has happened already, mm-hmm. like, they're two games ahead, and it's possible that they lose to Penn State and then win out and they could still win the West. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yes, that's a, that's a tough ask, but 
Um, they do have a lead right now. There are teams that we thought in the West that were going to be better than they than they are, like Nebraska. I think mm-hmm. I picked Nebraska to win, and that's clearly not going to happen. You're, you're not. You um, weren't alone, by the way. I, I did too. <laughs> I know everybody did. We all thought we were all on the Scott Frost night train, and then there you go. I picked Michigan for the East too, and that's clearly not going to happen either. So, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, can they still win the West? Yes. Are they as good as an eight row record suggests? I'm not sure. I think this Penn State game is actually going to be the real test. I think that's what a lot of people, and maybe that's why, you know, the game's not sold out quite yet for Saturday. Or You know, people are still wary about this Gophers team and are they the real deal. And it's not until they have this kind of bigger win and they need to do that against a big-name opponent, against another ranked opponent, which they haven't had yet this year. So Penn State is that game. Um, so I will be really interested to watch that game. And it doesn't just mean, like, well, they have to win, but I think it's how they perform. Like, I want to see, like, does their offense with the run in the past, like, click like it has in the last couple of games? Like, is their defense going to be able to stand up to, you know, the first non-backup quarterback that they've seen this season? Um, those are all things that I'm looking for. And if they can do those things and keep the game pretty close, then I think yes. What, well, that that was that leads right into this last question to you. What does Minnesota have to do to win on Saturday? You know, I think that I, it's going to be hard. Like, I, I talked to C.J. Fleck today, and he said that this is like Penn State is without a doubt like probably the hardest team that they've faced yet this season, which is no disrespect to their former opponents. But – you know, Penn State is very good. Their offense is very efficient. They've got playmakers like T.J. Hamler. They've, you know, Sean Clifford is somebody that I think, you know, first-time quarterback this year. People were maybe kind of wondering what he was about. And he's done very well to be able to, to, to kind of put mm-hmm. up the numbers that he has. Um, and then their defense is like, you know, it's very deep, and they rotate a lot of guys, and I think that can be challenging. Um, and their defensive line particularly is very good at, like, you know, stopping – the run, but also pass rushing. And so all of those things, like, I, these teams are very evenly matched to me. Like, when Minnesota's firing on all cylinders, I think they can be just as good as Penn State, but they've had some issues with kind of putting it all together at the same time. And they've been able to do that in the past couple of games. I think the one unit of the ball uh, would be special teams. They're special teams with the Gophers, and I know it's not like a sexy topic, but their special teams is really inconsistent, and they've had a lot of weird plays, muffed punts, blocked field goals, kicks out of bounds, you name it. Like, it seems like there's something like that happening every game. And if I remember the last Penn State Gophers game, which I covered for the other side, mm-hmm. um, that game was really close. It went into double overtime, and it was like a bunch of field goals training back and forth. And so I'm a little worried if it comes down to some kind of special team play or something like that, that's where maybe you're going to see the Gophers' weakness. And so that'll be interesting. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Can you, again, please remind the listeners where they can find your work? You can find me at the Minneapolis Star Tribune, which is startribune.com, and on Twitter, at the other Meg Ryan. Megan, we'll see you Friday Friday night first, right? Yes. We have a... uh, we're bringing an army of uh, Penn State beat writers to Minneapolis, and uh, Megan has been kind enough to make reservations for dinner for us. So uh, looking forward to that. Hey, Megan, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. Now we're joined by Mike Gross of Lancaster Newspapers. Mike, welcome back to the show. Great to be back, my man. Where can the listeners find your outstanding work? 
Thank you. Well, it's uh, LancasterOnline.com is the website, and it's Lancaster Newspapers, which looks like LNP in the, uh, on the newsstand. And uh, my Twitter is uh, at MikeGrossLNP. And also, one more plug, uh, my podcast, which is called uh, After the Buzzer with Gordy Jones and I, which you were gracious enough to be a guest on, is that uh, you can find that on YouTube if you just search for uh, After the Buzzer. There you go. Multimedia Good. specialist, Mike Gross. I'm about. There you go. Uh, Mike... <laughs> Penn State, Minnesota, a pair of 8-0 teams. Um, I don't think anybody would have predicted that back in August. Um, Penn State is coming off its second bye week. After its first bye week, uh, it destroyed Maryland 59-0. Yep. Uh, do you think the bye week is a positive or is it a negative for Penn State uh, after the momentum they had built against Iowa, Michigan, and Michigan State. What do you think about that? Well, I, I'm, I'm always a little leery about sort of parsing these intangible things, but my sense is that uh, they had three big tests in a row. They had three tough tests, and I, I think in particular uh, that took a lot out of them physically as well as mentally and emotionally. Uh, the Iowa and Michigan game, I thought in particular were very physical games. Uh, and then, you know, bad weather out in, at Michigan State and all that. So I think this was a, a really good time for, for a bye. Uh, and and, and uh, beyond that, I think this season, has the, the sort of timing of the games, I think has really worked out well for Penn State. There, there's been sort of a step up in class at the right time, I think, for them. It just worked out that way. And, of course, if they wouldn't have taken care of business and gone out and won the game, won the games, you know, nobody would be saying that. So you give them credit for taking advantage of it. But I think, uh, in general, the schedule has worked out in their favor. I can't agree more. I think it is, it's, it's been, uh, you know, they've played tough teams, and they've played, it's been, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of strength of schedule, it's been very good. But it's sort of just built its way up almost perfectly. Uh, to these yep. ne to these next three games, where the teams that are, you know, Minnesota, Indiana, and, and Ohio State are combined, I think twenty three and two or something like that. Um, Mike, Penn State is eight games into this. Sean Clifford is eight games into his starting career, and he has put up some very impressive numbers. Uh, continues to lead the Big Ten in total offense. He ranks, I think, second or third in the conference in passing efficiency, second in passing yards. Um, are you shocked by his development? Or or what exactly? What are your thoughts on how he's played in these first eight games? I, I, I wouldn't say shocked, but I think he's close to the ceiling of what was reasonable to expect for a first-year starter. And and in particular, I, I, I think he's made progress – the last couple of weeks in, in, in the following area. I, I, I think early in the year, and even until pretty recently, he has, uh, he's, a, he's a very excitable kid, I think. And he, he's kind of had almost a frantic edge to his demeanor on the field, and I think that's gradually dissipating. I think he's getting more and more comfortable in the role and sort of 
calm and and uh, the the old thing about uh, the game has to slow down for him. I think that's happened. Uh, particularly, I think that's been noticeable the last couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, I think for a first year starter who was not, I mean, he was a, certainly a very good prospect coming out of high school, but he wasn't, you know, Justin Fields as a recruit. He wasn't Trevor Lawrence as a recruit. Uh, for for a kid like that to be doing what he's done, uh, and he's very athletic. That's the other thing. I, I I've seen some things where people who saw him play in high school have said they can't believe how fast he is. They thought he was kind of an immobile guy, uh, which maybe said something for him, but also I think also maybe for Penn State's player development a little bit. Well, I think either James Franklin or Ricky Ronnie sometime in the last few weeks said something about how his first year there, which is just two years ago, 2017, um, that he was slow, but he has worked with um, the strength and conditioning guys, Dwight Galt, et cetera, uh, on improving his speed. And, and it's clear that he has. And that, to me, has surprised has surprised me. I mean, I, I mean that, that run at Michigan State on that third and – 10 or 3rd and 11 yeah, sure. that he just turned the corner and picked up 14 yards that really impressed me so yeah you know, I got to tip my cap for to him um, you know for making himself a better athlete um, but it, yeah, yeah you know it used to be Rich it used to be the conventional wisdom was that there was a limit to how much you could improve your speed with training uh, I think we've I think we've kind of broken through that Feeling. I, I think you I, I didn't realize I guess the extent to which you could really get faster and he probably is a, in, a, in a straight line he's probably as fast or faster than Trace McSorley was McSorley might have a little more wiggle and elusiveness but straight speed he's he is absolutely he's got the speed to make plays with his feet Mike Penn State is I'm looking at this and it's it's really hard to believe they Penn State began the season as one of the least penalized teams, not only in the Big Ten, but in the country. And today, as we speak, they are 12th in the Big Ten uh, in penalties or have been penalized uh, an average of 58 yards a game, which is the third most in the Big Ten. Uh, they had three unsportsmanlike conduct penalties out at Michigan State, which uh, didn't hurt them because they were dominating uh, the Spartans' anemic offense. What can Penn State clean that up, and what do they have to do to clean that up going forward? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure on this one. I'm not sure if this is just sort of an aberration or it's a real thing. But, but, but you, some of the penalties have been. <clears throat> you know, obviously, just a lack of discipline, and and that's uh, that's sort of disconcerting. And and um, I, you know, I, I James Franklin gives them a lot of freedom in a lot of ways. I mean, it, it's uh, sort of the um, the the sort of aesthetic ways that may not mean anything. Like for example, they you know they they dress they wear sweats on the road. They don't they don't they're they're not expected to. Uh, do anything in terms of grooming. I mean that that kind of stuff. I don't know if that matters or not. But I was talking to uh, our pal Mike Corman uh, on the sidelines down on the field before one of the games. And he's, we, we looked at all these kids that have all these 
different. They're warming up before the game. They have all these different sweats on, and 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 Mike brought this up. Like, this kind of, I mean, I don't know if this means anything or not. Maybe it does. Maybe uh, I, uh, James has maybe wavered a little bit on the wrong side of the line as far as the desirable thing to give the guys freedom and let them have fun and let them enjoy what they're doing and and running a tight ship. But I could be I could be completely wrong about that. I don't know if that's if that's the issue. It's uh, it's I know that this matters a lot to James Franklin. I, I when when he was when he was saying that after Michigan State, which when we were sitting in that mm-hmm. meeting room, and he yeah. said it it matters to me not only that we win but how we win. I have no there's no doubt in my mind that he is very sincere about that, and he has he has shown the ability to address things. This is a problem in our program. I'm going to address it. We get off to slow starts. We're going to do this in practice. We're third down inefficient. We're going to do this in practice. He has shown the ability to specifically tweak things, and I have a feeling that he'll be able to tweak this too. Okay. I, I would agree with you on that. I know, boy, I know he really, um, he sounded extremely, uh, I guess, disappointed, dismayed after the Michigan State game. And yeah, that uh, ma- really matters to him. I yeah, yeah, I I would agree with you. And he made it very clear that he was going to address it. Uh, we're talking with yep. Mike Mike Gross of Lancaster Newspapers. Mike, somebody asked me this, uh, so I'll, I'll turn the tables and ask you. Mm-hmm. Penn State is eight. No, uh, you know, it's there's there's a lot of good that that the Lions have done so far, but. To go to win these next three games or four, four games, um, I guess I should count Rutgers. Um, I think they can handle Rutgers. Yeah, I think they can handle Rutgers. Uh, but to win these next three games, what tweaks would you make on both or either side of the ball for Penn State? Well, that um, I, I mean, I don't know if I would say a tweak, but some things that have to get better. I think they have to. I think they have to involve that I think it's the X wide receiver, the position that Justin Shorter commonly mm-hmm. plays, that in the past Chris Gladwin played and Alan Robinson played. That guy's got to get the ball more. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's because of a, uh, of a uh, uh, failure on the part of the receiver or a failure on the part of Sean Clifford or a failure, failure on the part of the scheme or whatever it is. But that guy's, that guy's got to get the ball more. They've got to be better in the passing game. In fact, if you look at this matchup with Minnesota – I would say the wide receiver group is one position group where Minnesota's probably better than Penn State, at least based on production this year. So, so that's, that's one thing. I, I think they have to be uh, on the other side of the ball. The, their defense has been great. I mean, there's not much you can say mm-hmm. about their defense. But I would say maybe when they're in the nickel package, maybe when they have that extra D-back on the field, there have been times when that third cornerback on the field has been victimized a little bit. So maybe that's an area in coverage, and we don't know that the corners are healthy uh, 100% either. That might be another issue. So those are, those are a couple of things. Um, and, and I think, you know, commit to the run game. Commit to the run game, and, and I, I would, I'm, I'm on the uh, Noel Kane bandwagon. I would... I would commit to, even if you're going to alternate running backs, alternate them more situationally and, and find a way to get Noah Kane carries when it matters most. I would agree with you on uh, 
on every and I'll even add one about the 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 the, uh, the packages on defense. Uh, the dime packages when they play a three-two six. Um, I think it it almost always fails miserably, and they're, they're, for some reason I don't have the reason. I don't know why, um, but uh, I I would like to see Brent Pry ditch that and keep four down linemen on the field because their line is so good. Yeah, and and I have and, never been yeah I have never been a fan of a three man front. No, no, me me either. That's, yeah, that's almost like a prevent defense. That's like getting back on your heels a little bit. And, and a lot of times, here's another thing about that, a lot of times they'll use uh, eat your gross matos almost like, almost like a defensive tackle in that three-man, with that yeah. three-man front. And I'm not sure that frees him up and gives him enough space to be himself. So, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't really think about that, but that's a good call. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm not a fan of a three-man front. Yeah, and they don't use it that, they, they use it, very, it's rare that they use it. Maybe twice a game, maybe. Uh, but I, but I know I, 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 every time I should track it. I, I, I would guarantee it. They, they've given up first downs almost every time on when they run that mm-hmm. package. Uh, Mike, what does Penn State have to do to beat Minnesota Saturday? I think, um, I think the skill positions between these two teams are pretty close. I think the closer you get to the ball, uh, the closer you get to the line of scrimmage, the better Penn State is. So I, I think I, I think Penn State, this is true just generally for Penn State, but they have to win up front, especially on defense. And, uh, and, and, they, and they mostly have. They mostly have won up front on defense. Their front seven has been, I would say, I, would say, I mean, I haven't seen everybody comprehensively, but it's got to be one of the best in the country, and uh, I, I just think that Minnesota has not seen anything like it. I, I look at their schedule, and even though they've gotten better lately and really have been much more impressive in the Big Ten than in the non-conference portion of their schedule, yeah. um, I, I, I don't think I, I think their offensive line against Penn State's defensive line is a matchup that's pretty substantially in Penn State's favor. Yeah, I would agree with you. Here's a no, here's something that. Uh, again, I, I was not completely aware of, but uh, of their five Big Ten opponent of Minnesota's five Big Ten opponents, uh, the Gophers have seen the backup quarterback in each game. The backup quarterback for each of the five teams that they've played, they've wow. sta- has started. Yeah, that's, that's it. A, yeah, amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. That's really that's that's really something. And. and uh, and, uh, you know, and I mean, if you look at their schedule at the beginning of the year, honestly, and I, I, I do these little previews for every Big Ten team mm-hmm. online, and I remember looking at their schedule and thinking, man, they could be, they could easily be 7-1 and one and maybe even 8-0. Oh. So it's, it's not like they've, uh, they've reinvented the wheel or shocked the world with this, given their schedule, and especially given the, that thing you just said about the backup quarterbacks. Um, this will be Penn State will be by far the best team that Minnesota. Not close, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. not even close. Yeah, yeah. I I think I think Penn State's speed on defense is going to make a big difference. I think it could be the difference in the game. Um, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. I I mean I just don't. I I mean how does Minnesota adjust to this defense because they haven't seen 
you know, anybody close to to a Micah Parsons or a Yitor Gross Matos coming off the edge or a Shaka Tony um, or Jason Oway for that matter. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I see that being the, 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 the difference in the game. I don't think it'll be an easy game. Maybe I'm wrong here. I mean, but I, I, I see Penn State winning. How about you? Yeah, I do too. I, I think, uh, I mean, I haven't made my prediction yet or really even have started looking at it. Yeah, same here. Yeah, but, but, but I, I'm certain that I'm going to pick Penn State. I, I don't see, I mean, I, I, I think in making my predictions this year, I've been a little bit too uh, reliant on, well, is this a trap game or, or trying to overanalyze that kind of stuff instead of just looking at sometimes the, the better team wins because they're the better team. And I don't see any – I can't think of a reason why that would not be the case uh, on Saturday. Last thing for me, Mike, what do you what do you see the next three games for State? Like, I know we're, we're, we're looking a little bit into the crystal ball, but Minnesota ain't no, Indiana 7-2, and two, Ohio State ain't no. Um, you know, what, what do you see? What do you, what do you expect? Well, Indiana is a pretty quiet, uh, seven and two and you know, they, and they don't have a great win, but I think that guy's a pretty good coach. I think he's a pretty good defensive coach. I mean, I just said I'm overrating the, the trap game theory, but I think that's a trap game theory game, even though it's at Beaver stadium, uh, that's a scary game. And, and then, you know, Penn state's going to be, I think they're going to be a double-figure underdog at Ohio State. I, 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 I've seen Ohio State pretty much this year, and I'm really, really impressed with them. I don't see a weakness there. I think their execution, I think their, the, the, love, the attention to detail, how aggressively and smart and together and sort of downhill attacking all the time that team is on both sides of the ball. I, I, just, uh, I think that's a really tall order for, for the Knicks. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I I don't know, you know, I don't want to say Indiana's a trap game only because they're seven and two and yeah. that and they gave Penn State all kinds of trouble last year out there in Bloomington. They really did. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean I, I don't if Penn, I mean I'm not saying Indiana can't win the game. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying is if if the Indiana if Penn State does lose that game, it won't be because they overlooked Indiana. I just I I, I just don't see that. Mike, hey, th- thank you very much for joining us again. And can you please remind the leaders, the, the readers, the listeners, where they can find your content? Well, I don't know about you, Rich, but I hope the listeners are also readers. Yes, I do too. That is correct. Lancasteronline.com. <laughs> uh, the, the print version is LNP on the newsstand. Um, and uh, my Twitter is at uh, MikeGrossLNP. The podcast is After the Buzzer. You can find it on, I should have mentioned this also, we have this hosting site called Potbean. You can get it on there, and you can also get it on YouTube uh, just by searching for After the Buzzer. So that's where to find it. Okay. I want to thank Mike Gross and Megan Ryan for joining us on this episode. You can find this podcast on ReadingEagle.com and wherever podcasts are available. We welcome your feedback. You can find my content in the Reading Eagle and Media News Group publications in the Philadelphia area and on ReadingEagle.com. You can find links to my stories on Twitter at Nittany Rich. We'll return next week when we review the Penn State-Minnesota game and look ahead to the Indiana game. This has been the Nittany Rich Show. Thanks for listening.